0: Hour 4 of the WGN Radio Theater. Thanks for staying up late with us. We're here every Saturday night, 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. My co-host, Lisa Wolf, my executive producer, Mike Costella. We love doing this show, and we love bringing you these classic radio shows. In our last hour, we began listening to Avalon Time, so in this hour, we'll have the conclusion, plus suspense starring Richard Dix, and it's all coming your way. After this short Break. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. In this hour, we will tune into the conclusion to Avalon Time, starring Red Skelton from 1939. Then it's Suspense, starring Richard Dix from 1943. I want to remind everyone listening that we have a classic radio club. You'll get 10 classic radio shows sent to you each and every month via email, or on a five-CD set, just go to ClassicRadioClub.com. ClassicRadioClub.com. All right, last hour, we began listening to a half-hour comedy adventure with uh, Red Skelton on Avalon Time from 1939. Here's the conclusion.
1: Is uh, this the first time for you to hear the sound of little footsteps around the house?
2: No, I've been hearing the sound of little footsteps for a year now. They're my wife's brother. He's a midget.
1: Uh, nurse, uh, I want to talk to you alone.
3: We're alone. We're
1: alone. Well, I just wanted to tell you, uh, keep your eye on this icky. Icky. He's getting the Jim Jam jumping jive. With a slight dash of uh, chop, chop, chop. <laughs> so if he starts to swing out with the uh, boogie woogie, uh, call me before the joint starts jumping.
4: Okay, Hepcat, take it away.
2: He's a swell guy. Does he know a lot about medicine?
3: Does he? Why he sat through every doctor killed their picture twice?
2: Hmm? <laughs> Gee, he must be good.
3: Here. Here. Drink
2: this Oh, no, you don't Oh, no, you don't Now, come on and drink it No, no, I got one of those the other night Oh!
3: (laughs) Don't be silly
2: It's something to quiet your nerves Oh, my nerves are quiet I buzz like this all the time
3: Now, come on, like a good little man Oh, all right
2: (coughs) You want a chaser? I don't think anything could catch that stuff
3: By the way, do you know anything about having a child around the house?
2: Sure, I do. I've been reading The Care and Feeding of Babies and Blondie. I'll bet you were a noisy little baby. No, I wasn't either. I didn't utter a sound until I was a year old. Really? How come? (laughs) Oh, I was bashful. (laughs) I was ashamed to open my mouth. I didn't want my mother to know I didn't have any teeth. (laughs) Gee, I'll bet Junior will be smarter than I was.
3: I'll take that, Beth.
2: Yeah. Is that my nerve?
3: That's the doctor. He oh. wants me. I'll be right back. Yeah. Now, here, you just sit down and figure out what you're going to tell Junior. Okay. After all, everything's going to be new to him. Yeah. And you might learn something, too.
2: Yeah. I never thought of that. Gee, ain't it wonderful, me, your father? Well, my son won't go to that old reform school.
3: <laughs> He'll go
2: to the new one, like I did. <laughs> well, well... Now, don't get excited. Well, don't, don't stand there, nurse. Tell me. Well, speak up, gee, after all, this ain't a movie, you know Oh, no? Well, it's a double feature Yeah Double feature? Twins? Oh, gosh, I'm gonna faint
3: Why? You haven't even seen them yet
2: (laughs) Twins? Gee, two of them, huh? Gosh I only knitted one sweater Here, son, would you like to see the twins? Yeah, wheel me over, Doc (laughs) Gee, they're awful little, ain't they? Gee, look at them. Ain't they ugly?
1: Yes, and they're all yours. Yeah.
2: Where'd they get that terrific sunburn? Gee, ain't they ugly? But I guess all boys are ugly like that when they're little, huh, Doc?
1: They're girls.
2: Yeah. Girls? Are you kidding... Oh, my goodness. Both of them girls. Oh, Oh. what's the matter? What's the matter? Look at them. Two girls, and they're both bald headed.
5: And now our four pups work themselves up to the four winds and get ready to go fly a kite. It's from the Star Maker. Sing it, kid.
6: by a merry game. Go fly a kite, toss your worries to the wind, and they won't come back, they'll be too chagrined. Go
3: on, make friends with the sky, and have a long, long talk with the sun. It's a right way to live, it's a way to live upon the fun. Won't
6: you go fly a kite, you'd imagine you're a king. Cause you've got your world on a piece of string
3: Don't fly a kite, you'll imagine you're a king Cause you leave
2: all your troubles behind Blow your troubles away You've got your little
5: world on a piece of string Don't want fly a kite Dick Todd and the Avalon chorus sing out with the new Western ballad, South of the Border.
1: South of the border, down Mexico way. Down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when stars above came out to play. play. And now, as I wander, my my thoughts ever stray. The border, down Mexico, way. down Mexico way. She was a picture in old Spanish lace. Just for a tender while, I kissed the smile upon her face. For it was fiesta, and we were. so gay, gay. south of the border, down Mexico way, down Mexico way, then she sighed as she whispered manana, never dreaming that we were party, and I lied as I whispered manana, for our tomorrow never came. Out of the border, I rode back one day. I rode back one day. There, in a veil of wine by candlelight, she knelt to pray. To pray. The mission bells told me that I mustn't stay. That I mustn't stay. South of the border. Down Mexico way, down Mexico way.
2: Was South of the Border sung by Dick Todd and ably assisted by the Avalon Corps. That was a swell arrangement, too, Dick. A real Western style. Sounds like it was arranged by the Lone Arranger.
5: <laughs> I don't think that was much of a joke, Red.
2: Well, personally, I don't either, but it's one of Thackeray's. But I think they'll get better later on. I've sent for another writer.
5: Oh, well, what about that? Now, if he comes over tonight... Well, if he's good, will you fire Thackeray? Well, maybe. Well, uh, what kind of a contract do you have with him? Well,
2: it's just the usual thing. A straight 99-year contract. And don't forget the option. (laughs) Yes. But confidentially, Dell, I sneaked in a cancellation clause
5: in the contract. Oh, that was smart, Red. But uh, how can you break the contract?
2: By dying before him and his five brothers. (laughs) wouldn't mind so much, but he lives at my house. He eats my food, sleeps in my bed, wears my clothes, even goes out with my girl.
5: Don't you have ever had time for yourself?
2: Only when he sends me on errands. (laughs) Hey, Skelton, tell that gag of
7: mine about your uncle. I can't do it, Thackeray. We're out of the hospital now. I could arrange to get you back in. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Okay, okay, I'll tell it. Uh, My uncle Dell was so... <clears throat> Good night. <throat> and lay off the ad
7: libs. Yeah.
2: <laughs> My uncle Dell was so crooked yeah. I went in he went into a hospital for an x-ray, and they found his bones were loaded.
7: <laughs> uh-huh. Stick to me, Skelton, and pretty soon you'll be somebody on this program. Yeah.
2: After next week's program, I'll be the little man who wasn't there.
5: <laughs> hey, I got another
7: swell gag for you, Skelton. About the
5: jerk. No. Please, please, Zachary. Not that. <laughs> We just got a letter from the sponsor saying that the jerk has been terribly overworked on this program.
2: Does that mean that Skelton gets a vacation? Yeah, starting next... (laughs) I wish that other author would get here. He writes clever stuff, sophisticated sketches.
7: Oh, another writer, huh? Yeah. What does he look like? I don't know, Thackeray. I have never met the man. Well, I'm going outside, so if anybody shows up in here with two broken arms... That'll be him
2: Oh, why did I ever hire that guy? I can write my own jokes I don't need anybody See, I got a lot of energy Boy, when I get going, I'm a regular human domino
5: You mean human dynamo Oh, domino,
2: I see spots before my eye That's probably the author now Come in Boy, am I glad you got... Well, are you a writer?
3: Well, I ain't McGuffey's first reader (laughs)
2: Hercules, an author. Oh, heavens,
3: yes, Mr. Skelton. I'm the Pulitzer Prize package from Peoria.
2: <laughs> well, the first thing I want to know, Herky, is, are you original? Well, I ain't a reasonably exact
3: facsimile. <laughs> and do I work hard, Mr. Skelton? Why, I sat down at my typewriter and whacked and clacked like a hack for five days and night.
8: <laughs>
3: I suppose when you finished, you had a masterpiece. No, I forgot to put a ribbon in the typewriter.
2: <laughs> then you mean you didn't, you don't have a sketch for me? You haven't a, any play? Oh, haven't I?
3: Why, Mr. Skelton, I've got a wonderful original play for you called, uh... Well, let's see, I'll give you a synopsis of it first. Okay. The play takes place in Africa. Oh, that sounds good. And as the first scene opens, you're going through the Suez Canal. Ooh. And the natives are on the bank of the canal doing a weird dance. Oh, that sounds good. You see, they hop around with their index fingers, waving in the air, and they yell, EQ, EQ, EQ. Huh? This dance is called the Suez EQ. <laughs> This ought to be very good And then you plunge real deep into the jungle yeah. You go from UGG to Ubangy. You sure? No, you bangy yeah. <laughs> Didn't you ever hear of those Ubangy women? Yeah, I know That's the girls with their lips and their laps
8: <laughs> Well,
3: then you find out they're cannibals But they don't eat you Because uh, you tell them you're a missionary yeah. And the uh, missionaries have taught them That you can't keep a good man down <laughs> So uh, on you go looking for the white bwana. Bwana? What's a bwana? Bwana is what they call a white man. It means master. Oh. But no matter where you go, you get the same answer. Ug, yug, wag, hob, na, bwanas. That means, yes, we have no bwanas.
2: I think I better go out right now and look for a new sponsor. Oh,
3: no, no, no. You see, you go on looking for this white man.
2: Finally, you see a white man in the
3: deepest, darkest part of darkest Africa. Mm. And you walk up to him and you say... How About a life Oh, you do not <laughs> You walk up to him and you say uh, Dr. Livingstone, I presume Yeah This is your original story? Why, it certainly is
2: I'm calling it Stanley and Livingstone Oh, wait a minute, Herky Stanley and Livingstone were two real men Real men They've, they've already made four movies Six plays And 82 radio sketches about the story
3: Oh, good heavens They can't do that to me Why, that's plagiarism that stealing <laughs> I better hurry and get a copyright on my new play then. What's the name of it? Well, I call it The Birth of a Nation.
2: Yeah. Oh, that ought to be good too.
3: Well, I gotta scram now. You sure it keeps me busy writing for the masses, the misses, the muses, and the messes. Uh, yeah.
2: I think I better get out and find a writer. I presume. Good <clears throat> <Let's> play, Bob. <laughs> Well, Del, I guess that winds up another one.
5: Yes, Red, another program has gone by the board.
2: Yeah, and I want you to be sure and come to my Halloween party next week, Del. Okay. We're going to have a lot of games. We'll mm-hmm. duck for apples, mm-hmm. and I'll win that. And we'll play the witch hunt, and I'll probably win that. and Then we'll pin the tail on the donkey. That's the game where they'll stick you. Yeah. Oh, what's the use? Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget that this is the season when good Americans show that they're good neighbors by contributing to their community chest. So let's all be real good neighbors and give freely. Good night, everybody. See you next week. Goodbye now.
5: Well, friends, we're putting our skeleton back in the closet for this week, and we hope that you've enjoyed our show.
0: And that's Avalon Time, starring Red Skelton, from October 18, 1939, as heard on NBC. It was originally sponsored by Avalon Cigarettes and Sir Walter Raleigh Tobacco. We have removed all of those spots. And uh, a lot of fun. Red Skelton, and uh, that's You know, now you know why he was so successful. He was hilarious back in the 30s. He had a terrific career in the 40s and 50s, both on radio and TV, did a bunch of movies, and then decided, I'm going to be a painter. Paint maybe, a bunch of clowns. maybe that will be your next, uh, your next exploration. <laughs> well, you know, I wasn't an, was an art major, I know, and then I switched over to communications. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, I I love to draw, yeah, I love to draw, I love to paint, sculpt, I've all that kind of stuff. I've never seen any of your uh, you sculptures never have really? paintings. Well, uh, I'll keep waiting, <laughs> <laughs> can't see my etchings. Sorry, okay, no problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, suspense. Oh my gosh, suspense, the greatest radio series of all time because. Not only was it on the air for like 20 plus years, made a transition to television, but it had the best directors, the best writers, the best stars, because all the movie stars wanted to be on suspense. It had every genre. There was even comedy episodes of suspense, believe it or not. I mean, not comedy, comedy like situation comedy, but there were, you know, humorous dramas, right? And then there was the scary, scary ones. And there were westerns and sci-fi. Really, Suspense was the best of the best from the golden age of radio. And we have a broadcast for you now, an early episode in the series, from May 4th, 1943. It's called Death Flies Blind, and it stars Richard Dix. Here's Suspense.
9: Suspense. This is the man in black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Heading our starring Hollywood cast this evening is Mr. Richard Dix, who appears as a United States Naval officer, who found himself in a remarkable predicament on what should have been an uneventful flight from New York to Philadelphia. As fellow passengers aboard the airliner, Miss Gail Page is a girl named Monica and Mr. Montague Love, who plays that aged and domineering millionaire Silas Naylor. A story by John Dixon Carr called Death Flies Blind is tonight's tale of suspense. If you have been with us on these Tuesday nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion, and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation, and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so it is with Death Flies Blind and the performances of Richard Dix, Gale Page, Montague Love, and our other players, we again hope to keep you in suspense. LaGuardia Field, Municipal Airport of New York. LaGuardia Field, vast behind its white buildings. On a gray spring afternoon when rain splashes across the runways, dims the sky, and spatters on the wings of a great silver-painted airliner, waiting beyond. Already as the limousine bus from the New York Terminus slowly draws up to the waiting shed, you can hear the loud speaker. New York to Los Angeles. The big limousine bus besides its driver contains only two persons. One is a tall young man in United States naval uniform with the stripes of a lieutenant commander around his sleeve. The other is a tall and dark-haired girl a face a little
7: frightened in the blue. Light 72, New York to Los Angeles. Plane ready to take off at gate number six. Have your tickets ready, please.
10: Fred, that, that can't mean us.
11: Now take it easy, Monica. We're not too late. They won't go without us.
10: No, I mean it says New York to Los Angeles.
11: That's right, Monica.
10: We're only going to Philadelphia.
11: You're still right, my dear. i arranged for a special stop at Philadelphia. It won't take long, and then they go on nonstop from there.
10: Fred, that's just it. Who's going on
11: from there? (laughs) Oh, you'd be surprised.
10: (laughs) This airport bus must hold 20 people, but there's nobody in it except ourselves and the driver. Who's going on to Los Angeles or or anywhere else?
11: I uh, was going to tell you about that, Monica... All right, miss. All right, sir.
9: Hop under that shed and out the door on the other side. Oh, uh, got your tickets ready? Yes, I've got them.
11: All
9: set, Monica?
10: ready And rain is certainly coming down. Do they take off when it rains like this?
9: Oh, miss, a little rain don't bother them. What does bother them is unsettled weather at other places.
10: You mean it's, it's perfectly safe?
9: They never take off, miss, unless it is safe. You better hurry up now.
11: the plane, Monica. Shall we run for it?
10: Said I'd rather not run if you don't mind.
11: Aren't getting nervous, are you? No.
10: I know it's stupid of me. I've flown before. It's just all well, those few seconds before the takeoff. You're moving and the motors have been idling. All of a sudden, they start to roar. The plane races ahead and the roar gets louder and suddenly you think, am I ever going to get down alive?
11: Now look here, my dear. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Fred. I... There's... Nothing to worry about, you know. Of course not. I'll be good.
10: We sit this dismal day and a ghostly bust about any passages.
11: And look. Where? At the plane. They've got all the windows covered inside with little gray curtains. Oh, that's all right, Monica. It's only a wartime measure. Wartime measure? Yes. Just keep those curtains closed for some minutes after taking off and before landing. And so no one can make maps or take pictures of our airports. Oh. Um.
10: Anything could happen
11: with there, car. No. And what's more, if you're worried about your fellow passengers, look over your shoulder.
10: Well, there are some people coming
11: through the gate. Yes, you see the little gray-haired man with the big fellow on each side of him? The secretary dashing around them like a destroyer in a convoy? You know, I've seen that gray-haired man somewhere before. You've seen his picture? That's Silas Naylor. The third richest man in the world. Those two big fellows are his bodyguard. Does he need a bodyguard? Well, I... Not more than most of us, I imagine.
10: Okay. I don't like that.
11: Oh, nonsense, my dear. Come on now, up the steps to the plane. Give your name to the air hostess at the door. That's it.
10: Good afternoon, Miss. May I have your name, please? Uh, I'm, um... I'm Monica Vale. You're the air hostess? That's right, Miss Vale. Take any seat you like. And you, sir?
11: Onslow, Lieutenant Commander Fred Onslow.
10: Oh, yes, Commander. We've had instructions about you. Happy to have you with us, even if it's only as far as Philadelphia. Thank you. May I take your overcoat or your briefcase?
11: Only the overcoat, please. I'll keep the briefcase.
10: Fred, look there. What is it now? That man you called Mr. Naylor's secretary. Light haired man, rather good looking. He's sprinting towards this plane as fast as he can run.
11: Well, he'd better be careful on that slippery surface. He
10: certainly has.
12: Air hostess. Air hostess. Air hostess. Air hostess.
11: Look out, man. Air Wa- air look hostess. out, man. Watch your step. Look out. Well, are you, are you all right? Here, let me help you
12: up. I'm all right, thanks. Perfectly all right. Air hostess.
4: Yes, sir.
12: Uh, my name is Michael Shepard. I'm Mr. Naylor's secretary, and I think there must be some mistake here.
4: Mistake, sir? Yes.
12: When Mr. Naylor travels, he's in the habit of booking every seat in the plane to ensure privacy. Yet we seem to have two extra passengers. Well, I'm afraid that's my fault, Mr. Shepard. Indeed, sir. Then would you and the young lady be good enough to take some later flight? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I can't do that. No, and why not?
10: Maybe I ought to explain, Mr. Shepard, that Commander Onslow had last-minute orders to join his ship. He and Miss Vale have priority as far as Philadelphia.
12: Philadelphia. Must we stop there?
10: Only for a few minutes, Mr. Shepard.
12: This is outrageous. Mr. Naylor is traveling, in a sense, on government business. Well, so am I, old man. The Navy he often does. That doesn't alter the principle of the thing. I, I don't want to seem ungracious, you understand. Mr. Naylor is always glad to help our, our brave soldiers and oh, sailors.
11: love of my... Now, choir will now sing hymn number 242, Now the is But this rifle. time you've
12: gone too far. I shall appeal to Mr. Naylor himself.
11: Mr.
13: Naylor, oh. Mr. Naylor. Yes, Mr. Shepard, I can hear you. What is it? Uh, this naval officer, sir, and the young lady. Oh, I know, Shepard, I know. Isn't the plane big enough for all of us? I was only following your orders, Mr. Naylor. You asked for privacy. All right, Shepard. What I'm asking for now is less noise. The lieutenant commander in the Navy, eh? That's right, Mr. Naylor. on another fishing trip, I suppose. That's just exactly right, sir. Mm-hmm. Ever have dispatch yet?
11: No, never.
13: Well, I have. Twenty thousand a year I pay pay doctors. And what do they give me? The stump. I'm not surprised you got priority, Commander, but I am a little surprised about the girl. She's my fiance. Mr. Nanner, Miss Vale. Meet the rest of my family. These two bruisers here, including the one with the mouth organ and my bodyguard. Mr. Cohen. I'm pleased to meet you, Commander. How do you do? Auntie? This is Mr. O'Reilly. Uh, glad to know you, Commander. How are things going? Nicole, hey, can't don't you ever get tired of playing that mouth organ? Stand away from the doors. I want to close it. <laughs>
10: Will everyone please take your seats and fasten the seat belts? Are we ready to take off? Yes, in just a moment.
13: Shepard. O'Reilly. on. Come along to the
11: front of the plane. Yes,
10: sir. Oh, we'll sit in the back here, won't we, Fred? Uh,
11: yes. Uh, yes, of course. I, um...
10: Fred, is anything wrong?
11: No. No, of course not. Why, why what could be wrong?
10: Well, then you'd better sit down. We're starting to move. That's good advice, Commander Onslow. But I must ask you, Miss Vale, not to touch the curtain on the window. Oh. How soon before we can open the curtains? As soon as we're well away from New York. You see that illuminated sign, no smoking, fasten seatbelts? Yes. What about it? When the lights and the sign go out, you can open the curtains. And smoke as much as you like. Now, if you'll excuse me. Certainly. You needn't try to fool me, Fred, i so. I saw You, you saw what? I saw you pick up that scrap of paper one of those men dropped.
11: Why? why that wasn't anything, Monica.
10: May I see the paper? No. Why not?
11: Well, because uh, because I'd, I'd rather you didn't see it. that's all.
10: There is something wrong, isn't there? Look,
11: Monica. Let me repeat over and over. What could be wrong? there's Silas Naylor, an internationally famous figure with a group of trusted attendants. Here's an ACA plane as safe and dependable as the old gray mare. All the same. all I... the same what? I wish I hadn't brought you along. I wish there was some kind of an emergency cord, like a train, so that you would stop this plane, whatever you
8: We're on our way!
9: Fifteen minutes, thirty minutes, forty minutes. The great silver plane throbbed against dead Quiet warm and stuffy in the cabin despite the hissing ventilator. Dim white reading lamps shine down on a double row of cushioned chairs along one side and a single row of cushioned chairs along the other. Ahead above the closed door to the pilot's control cabin, the red glowing sign still warns against opening those curtains. Aft in the plane sits Commander Onslow, his eyes fixed on the clock under that illuminated sign.
11: Monica, Yes. What? It's not exactly all right.
10: Fred, why do you say that?
11: Because we should have been in Philadelphia five minutes ago. At least we should have been circling over the field. And we're not? No. We're still ten or 12,000 feet up if the pressure on my eardrums count for anything. And traveling like a bat out of Hades.
10: Weather's delaying us, I guess,
11: huh? Maybe it is.
10: It's awfully bumpy, isn't
11: it? Yes, a little.
10: Makes you gasp for breath and your stomach (gasps) turn. a bad
11: one. Not getting airsick, are you?
10: I don't think so. I wish I had some of that chewing gum they give you.
11: The ring for the air hostess. She'll bring you some.
10: I did ring the bell, Fred, and there's no answer.
11: Oh, she's busy in the pantry back there, that's all. She didn't hear you. Here, I'll get you some gum.
10: No, no, wait, I'll, I'll go.
11: Sure you're all right.
10: I want a pot of my nose anyway. Besides, you're going to have company. Our Mr. Shepard is weaving along this aisle as though he didn't like air pockets either.
11: Well, thank the Lord one of that party's awake up there. I thought they were all dead. Don't say that. Say what?
10: Dead. A spooky plane with everything so quiet and dead itself. Remember how the pilot walked through a while ago and looked around and walked right back to the control cabin? No, I didn't notice him. Oh, that's what I mean. It was like a ghost. (sighs) I'll be right back.
11: I say, Commander
12: Onslow. Yes, Mr. Shepard? Uh, mind if I sit down? Not at all. Go ahead fact is, Commander, I want to apologize. Oh, that's all right. Forget it. I'm not such an ill-mannered guy as I must have sounded. It's no joke, you know, taking care of the chief. I've got to go ahead like a cyclone, so, so that everything would be quiet when he gets there. And it's a great responsibility, too. I can imagine. I go on these long trips. There's the chief, half asleep, and O'Reilly reading detective magazines and coin with his mouth organs. Doesn't that mouth organ bother the old boy? No, he likes it. Especially when Cohen plays the old square dancers. Chief's a great man in his way.
11: I was just wondering about that. Wondering what? Is it true... Stop me if I'm talking out of turn. Go ahead. We can trust the Navy. Uh, is it true he's offered to design and build, at his own expense, a fleet of underwater cargo boats, uh, submersible freighters, up to five or 6,000 tons... But it do away with the submarine menace altogether? Where did you hear that? Oh,
13: just a rumor.
11: Is it, uh, true? Mm, yes, it's true enough. You see, Mr. Shepard, I'm one of the few people who believe that that plan is practical. But there must be a lot of people who would like to see Mr. Naylor put out of the way. There
12: are, Commander.
11: Only they can't get at him. You're quite sure of that?
12: Dead sure. Hitler himself isn't better guarded. Why, you could no more shoot or stab or poison the chief than you could... Why, what was that? What happened? Monica? Is anything wrong?
13: back there! It's
12: all right, sir. It's only a noise in the pantry. We'll see to it. Monica! Monica, pull yourself together. What's wrong?
10: It's it's that air hostess, Miss Lee.
11: Well, what about her?
10: She's lying back in the pantry among the broken dishes with her head all over blood. Somebody beat her over the head and left her there to die.
11: Somebody? Yes. But nobody's going back to the pantry. Nobody's gone past the success, except,
10: except the pilot, the co-pilot of this plane, remember?
11: Excuse me, Mr. Shepard. I'm going to open the curtains on that window. Do you think it's wise, Commander? We were told not to. No, we were told a lot of things. I'll just take the responsibility of... Good Lord! <gasps> there, there, Monica. Mr. Naylor, Mr. Naylor! Yes, son, what's up? Draw the curtain on your window and take a look down. If O'Reilly and Cohen have got guns, they better keep them handy. Is that so now? Why? Because we're not flying west. We're over the Atlantic Ocean now and headed straight out to sea.
10: Gray water, thin cloud. We must be miles and miles away from land.
11: We are miles away from land. Does anybody here know anything about first aid? I do, Commander. I studied medicine in the old days. Then you better go back and look after the hostess. We'll join Mr. Nealer. Steady, Monica.
10: I'm all right. It's this horrible blind feeling, that's
13: it. Air pocket, look out. See here, Commander,
7: what, we're over the ocean.
11: What the devil's going on here, eh? You were being kidnapped, Mr. Naylor, that's my guess.
7: Kidnapped, did you say? Ah, come off it, Commander, we ain't as dumb as that.
11: The pilot and the co-pilot of this plane are fakes. They've replaced the real officer. Ah. On a dark day like this, with their raincoat collars turned up, they could have gotten away with it. And hijacked us straight off the airfield. Is that it? Yes, I'm afraid so. The hostess must have spotted one of them and knocked her out. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the airport? Wouldn't they know a plane was missing? Well, not until we failed to show up at Philadelphia. The pilot would report by radio telephone about oh, 15 minutes out of New York. But after that, silence. Excuse me, Commander. You say these two fake pilots are still aboard in that
13: compartment
12: there with the closed door? Yes, that's right. Well, what are we waiting for, Corn? Do so we get to work
11: on them? You said it, Barney. Now, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, both of you. You wouldn't be trying to stop us, would you, Commander? The one thing we don't want is a gunfight 12,000 feet up. Can any of you fly a plane? No, not one of us. Now, neither can I. So if anything happens to those two pilots, how are we going to get down? I see, young fellow. Well, what are you going to do? Now, first of all, we'll try rapping on the door. Have your gun ready. You can count on that, sir.
10: Fred, Fred, listen to me.
11: Be quiet, Monica.
10: Has this anything to do with the scrap of paper you picked up off the floor?
11: What scrap of paper? Oh, never, never mind, sir. Why, this door, it's unlocked. Unlocked? Now, don't
13: take any fool chances, young fellow. The way I always did when I was your age. Stand to one side when you open that door. Let Conan O'Reilly take care of it.
11: Good luck. Well, the control cabin is empty. There's nobody at the controls.
13: You mean we're... We're flying
11: without a pilot? Yes. See that stick move back and forth? As though a ghost had hold of it? Those crooks do. They set the automatic controls. It's a gyroscope attachment that keeps her steady. And then they must have bailed out.
10: And what's going to happen to us?
11: But you see, Monica, the fact is...
10: Go on, Fred, tell me the truth. I'll
11: know if you don't. Well, we'll go on until our gas runs out or until a storm hits us. Then we'll dive into the sea. It's a good a way of killing Mr. Naylor, as any. I see, son.
13: Have we got any chance at all?
11: Frankly, I don't know. Wait till I get a look inside of that control cabin? Holy mother that's delicious.
13: Cohen, stop it. Stop it! Yeah, Mr. Naylor? Stop playing that infernal mouth organ. Or if you must play it, play something cheerful.
12: Yes, sure, Mr. Naylor,
11: sure. How long do you think it'll be before we. Quiet, Cohen! Mr. Commander, back again. Well, young fella, the radio telephone's out of order. We can't signal.
10: Fred, what about those patrol ships? You said they're 200 miles out to watch for unidentified aircraft. Won't they see us? They've
11: seen us already, I expect. They'll send for an army fighter plane to investigate, but... what can it do? Yeah. Shoot us down, maybe, huh? That's fine. If only somebody could fly the plane.
7: Well, nobody can, Skipper, so think of something else.
11: See, Mr. Naylor, I was wrong. Wrong, son? About what? One of your party, and I can guess which one, dropped a torn piece of paper. There was a line of writing on it. Probably the end of some instructions. Well? Those instructions ended. You should land just as your fuel fails at 7 o'clock a.m. You should land just as
13: your fuel fails at 7 o'clock a.m. But but that might not have anything to do with the sun. What made you suspicious of it? Because it was written in
11: German. In hey, German?
13: Quiet, Colin, I can't hear myself
11: think. Okay, okay, Mr. Naylor, I'm sorry. I thought the fake pilots were kidnapping you, maybe abroad. There's not enough fuel for that, is there? Well, if there's enough fuel for Los Angeles, then there's enough for Europe. Well, that won't work. They bailed out and left us to crash. Excuse me, sir, but it's getting black as pitch out there. I think there's a storm coming up. What happens when that hits us? Plenty, O'Reilly. Plenty. Yeah, well, I was afraid of that. If only somebody could fly this plane, I could navigate it.
10: Navigate it?
11: Yes. You have to learn aerial navigation in my business. With enough figuring, I might even set a new course and try the automatic controls on it. No, I, I don't dare handle the ship.
10: Wait a minute. I know a way out of this.
11: Well, then speak up, miss. There's a 90-mile wind
13: going to hit us any minute. The
10: air hostess, of course.
13: Miss Lee, what about her?
10: I remember reading somewhere that most air hostesses get flying instructions when they've been with the company for, a well, a given length of time.
13: You know, Miss Dale, that's true. There was a girl of Inter Airways who told me the same thing.
10: And if this one can even make a try at landing a plane, well, we may get back to New York yet.
13: I thought you said she'd been knocked out.
10: Well, she isn't badly hurt, but there's just a chance that maybe she's...
13: There's Shepard, coming back from the pantry. Anybody got a drink? It wasn't very pleasant back there.
10: How is she? You know, we were just wondering whether Miss Lee might be in any shape to pilot the plane.
13: Pilot the plane? Why in blazes should she pilot the plane? There's no time to explain now, Shepard, that we're bound for Davy Jones unless something's done. Could she do it? No. Not even if we, uh, revived her? Not if all the doctors on earth stood at her side. Why,
12: but I... I the... don't think you understand, sir. Miss Lee has just... Died.
9: Thin singing of wind above the clouds. Then storm with a white eye of lightning at the windows. Losing height, gaining it again, blown off her blind course, flung partway back again, always racing forward on a flight to nowhere. Late afternoon, evening, night. The steady throbbing of motors, like a pulse beat inside the head. Towards morning, the storm dies away. In that dim cabin, there is exhaustion of nerves. The hands of the clock stand at a quarter of two
11: in the morning. Monica, Monica, wake up!
8: Oh, what? Oh, oh. Shh, shh, shh.
11: it's Fred. Now keep your voice down.
10: Have I been asleep?
11: Yes, for a couple of hours.
10: They say condemned criminals sleep on the night before their execution. Where are the others?
1: I was uh, by a boy back home in the county down. My father used to say to me, "Wally uh, O'Reilly, says
11: he, did you ever see a banshee? A banshee, says he." The
13: old woman and lets you know when you're going to die. Pipe down, you two. Oh, uh, Roy, I'm sorry, Mr. Uh no, uh, no offense, Chief. Can't a man play a quiet game of solitaire without somebody gapping all the time? Black nine on red ten.
11: Listen, Monica, and listen carefully. My first idea was right after all.
10: What are you talking about?
11: There's somebody aboard this ship who can fly a plane. What? Shh. There is. Proved it by the automatic controls. Proved it how? If those controls had stayed as they originally were, the side winds would have blown us clear off our course. But we're still on our course. That shows that somebody's been sneaking in there and setting us right again when we do stray. And you mean... I mean that we're headed for somewhere. We're being taken somewhere. But we may outwit this gentleman yet... Out with who? Is somebody still talking back there? I'm sorry, Mr. Naylor. Monica's just waked up. None of us can feel very much like sleeping anyway. You're right, son. I admit it. Come up here and join me, will you? With pleasure.
13: I think myself in this twice in this card game, but I still can't make it come out. Oh, what's the use pretending anyway? We know we're in for it. It's this <laughs> waiting that gets you. Yeah, yeah. That
7: goes for all of us, Mr. Naylor.
13: What I'm dreading is is the minute when those motors choke and go dead. And we start whirling down, down, down. What does it sound like, Commander, when, when motors conk out?
11: I've never heard it, Mr. Naylor, but I imagine it sounds like. Listen. I imagine it sounds like that.
10: We're losing
1: height. I can feel it. Well, Corn, I guess this is the payoff. Yeah, you said it.
12: Look here, Mr. Naylor, we can't be out of
11: fuel. Because it's too early. Look at the clock. It's only five minutes to two o'clock. I beg your pardon, old man. It's five minutes to seven o'clock. Seven o'clock? Are you crazy? No. Haven't you forgotten the cross-ocean changes in time? By George the Commanders' right. European time is five hours ahead of our time. If you don't believe me, just notice that it's getting daylight outside. I was thinking of that message. You should land just as your fuel fails at 7 o'clock a.m. Stand perfectly still, all of you. Here,
12: what's got into little Art Pazleroy? I'll show you what's got into me, my friend. Yes, I rather thought you would. I shall go into that control cabin. Follow me if you like. I shall sit down at the controls. And I shall bring this plane safely to the ground.
10: Safely to the ground? Where?
12: In Germany course Germany don't pull a gun Cohen if you plug in we're all done for that is good advice Mr. Cohen I might add that we're getting closer to the ground every minute Ah, uh, for the love of do I take control yes go ahead but uh, we're following you follow by all means all right let's get comfortable here I take up my position so
10: there's fog below can you see
12: well enough Miss Dale well enough We must go down rather quickly. And I can't help if it's somewhat rough on your head.
13: You young swine, what's the idea?
12: The idea, dear patron, is to bring you and your plans for a submarine freighter to a country which will appreciate them. And those two fake pilots? They were colleagues of mine. Unfortunately, if they had remained, your pug uglies would have started a gunfight and none of us might have got here. Well? So they left by parachute. And I brought you safely without blood or toil. Into the boundaries of the Third Reich. You're going down too fast, man. Now take it easy. I am perfectly in command, thank you.
8: Look out. I have... The trees are coming ma'am. straight up look, 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 at us. Oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh.
11: Oh. Are you all right, Monica? Are you all right? Yes. Oh, only a bit shaken
7: up. We're all okay here, Skipper. Shall I give this guy the works now before they come to get us?
11: No, don't shoot.
12: Let him alone. That also is good advice. And now, my friends, my mission is ended. I stand up on the pilot's chair. I throw open this glass hatch. And to all Germany, to all the world, I cry.
9: This is a stolen
7: flugzeug in Begriff zu
9: London auf Feld nummer 21. Hi, Hitler.
7: Well, strike me blind if it ain't another one. Yes, first Rudolph Essen or this bloke. What do you suppose they want over here?
11: English.
13: Why are you speaking
7: English? Why,
11: Cocky? It's an even habit we've got in this country. This isn't England. Oh, yes, it is. Better climb out of here and with your hands up. But it can't be. I followed the course laid down on those instruments. Unfortunately, old man, I altered our course last night. Keep back, Shepard, or you may get a bullet in the head yet. Your instructions were all right, but they didn't tell you about the five hours difference in time. When we got to the right navigation point, I let the fuel out of the tanks and made you think we were landing in Germany. <laughs> You know, there's nothing like having a good Nazi for a taxi driver, is there?
9: And so ends Death Flies Blind, starring Richard Dix with Gail Page and Montague Love. Tonight's tale of... Suspense. William Spear, the producer, Ted Bliss, director, Vlad Bluskin and Lucian Mahuick, the conductor and composer, and John Dixon Carr, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense.
0: And that's Suspense from May 4th, 1943. Death Flies Blind, starring Richard Dix, as heard on CBS. And you heard Joseph Kearns as the Man in Black. In the early episodes, they had like a host. Suspense had a host called the Man in Black. There was a couple of different actors that played that part. Joseph Kearns played it the longest. And Joseph Kearns had a great career in radio. He was always a supporting guy, but he was on Jack Benny. He was the vault guard on Jack Benny. And on TV, he was Mr. Wilson on the Dennis the Menace television series which him. airs wow. on antenna right. tv yep suspense hope you enjoyed that let's take a quick break then it's more on the wgn radio theater well in our next hour we'll tune into the adventures of ellery queen from 1943 starring Sidney smith then we'll tune into a quarter hour episode of fibber mcgee and molly starring jim and marian jordan that's all coming your way right after the news Hour five of the WGN radio theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari, Lisa Wolf, my co-host, our executive producer, the great Mike Castella. In this hour, it's the adventures of Ellery Queen from 1943, starring Sydney Smith. Then we'll tune into a quarter hour episode of Fibber McGee and Molly from 1954. Jim and Marion Jordan starring as Fibber McGee and Molly, you know, In their run, Lisa, they were always had a 30-minute show from the 1930s all the way to the 1950s. And then at the end of their run, NBC decided, well, let's do it 15 minutes a day, five days a week. So we have some quarter-hour episodes, and we've been playing them each week here on the WGN Radio Theater. Hope you've been enjoying that. But first a break, then it's Ellery Queen. Stick around. Welcome back to our 5 of the WGN Radio Theater. Thanks for staying up late with us. In this hour, Ellery Queen plus Fibber McGee and Molly. Don't forget there are five classic radio shows waiting for you to digitally download off of our website, 100radioshows.com. We put these five shows up there. As a thank you to you, you can go there, put your email address in, and we'll instantly send you, via email, five classic radio shows. Let me see if I can remember them, Lisa. Jack Benny, right? What else? Suspense. And we have a Fibber McGee and Molly, of course, right there. Uh, Gunsmoke. Right. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. That's it. That's That's all all of them. All right. Go to our website, 100radioshows.com. Get your five free shows and then peruse the other 700 classic radio shows that are available for purchase via digital download. But if you decide to purchase any of those shows, make sure you use the promo code radio at checkout, radio at checkout, because you'll save 70% on your order. Okay, time for Ellery Queen. You know, unfortunately, there are not very many, maybe only four or five Ellery Queen radio shows that exist. I, they didn't record them or they didn't make transcriptions or whatever the case may be. So there's just a few and it was a really good series. It came to radio in 1939, lasted until 1948. And this series had a unique angle to it. They invited a panel of armchair detectives into the studio to solve the crime you know while the broadcast was going on they would like break into the show like 3 quarters in go to the armchair detectives and say what do you think the murderer is or who do you think you know and the listener got to kind of guess along it was it was really cool were I, these actors or actors? detectives no they detectives? were they were like celebrated people no they were like you know a, a newspaper reporter or an actor or whatever okay. the case may be they were kind of You know, prominent people. Um, and they were, they were the armchair detectives each and every week. It was very cool. Um, there was a lot of actors that played the role of Ellery Queen over the run Hugh Marlowe, Carlton Young, Sidney Smith on this particular broadcast, Lawrence Dobkin, Howard Culver. And it was sponsored by a bevy of sponsors over the run Gulf Oil, Bromo Seltzer, Anison. And then it made a transition to TV, but not until 1975. And uh, that series starred Jim Hutton and David Wayne. We have a broadcast for you now from September 30th, 1943 called The Adventure of the World Series Crime. Sydney Smith stars. Here's the adventures of Ellery Queen.
14: Seltzer presents The Adventures of Ellery Queen. Tonight, the makers of Bromo Seltzer bring you another thrilling adventure with Ellery Queen, the celebrated gentleman detective in person. Ellery Queen again gives you a chance to match wits with him as he relates another story of a crime he alone unraveled. Then, at the point where he was able to solve the mystery, he stops the play, gives you a chance to guess the criminal's name. In the studio tonight, we have as our guests, Ken Sears, New York Yankee catcher, and Art Flynn, business editor of the weekly newspaper, Sporting News. We'd hoped to have with us, too, the star second baseman of the Yankees, Joe Gordon, but he was unable to join us. However, Messrs. Sears and Flynn have accepted Ellery Queen's challenge to solve the mystery before the solution is revealed. And now, Ellery Queen, master detective... And your host for the next half hour. Thank you, Ernest Chapel, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen.
15: In tonight's story, Nicky and I quite unexpectedly become involved in the crucial game of the World Series. I call it The Adventure of the World Series Crime.
16: You all know what's happened. The Eagles won the first three games. Then the Larks came back to take the fourth and fifth games. And now the Larks are leading in the sixth game, three to two. Here's the pitch. Ball four. That's a walk for Henderson. Fills the bases for the Eagles. Two out. we will see now. Oh, here's the great Sparks himself coming to bat. Now, let's see. A hit will score two runs. The Eagles will win four to three. And the World Series will be over. But if the Larks can stop Sparky again, the series will be all tied to three games apiece. And the payoff game tomorrow, there it is, strike one on You know, everybody's asking what's happened to Sparky. Champion batter of the major leagues, he was an Arkansas tornado in the first three series games. Hit over 500. Won the first three games for the Eagles almost single-handed. And then he folded. Here's the pitch. Strike two. Strike two. You now Sparky didn't get a hit in the fourth game or the fifth. And today, in three official tries, the great Sparks has popped up once and struck out twice with men in scoring positions. There it is. Ball one. one. That's one and two on Sparky. You know, there's some ugly rumors around, but take it from your Uncle Ted, they're just malarkey. You know, you've heard them. that Sparky's been drugged, Sparks has sold out to the gamblers, It's all. Here it is. Strike three. Sparky didn't even lift his bat off his shoulder. He's out. Well, that's the game, folks. Ties it up at three games apiece. But what's happened to Sparks? Mister Dayton, owner of the Eagles, wants to know. Mac McClune, fighting manager of the Eagles, wants to know. What's happened to Sparky?
8: Yeah.
17: No. Just a minute. Mr. Dayton's private office. What? No. Say, listen, Weisenheimer, I'll give it to you in plain English. There ain't no more tickets. Oh, oh. hello, Mr. McClune.
7: The boss in, Susie.
17: Uh, yeah, he's waiting for you. Say, Mr. McClune, I want to tip you off. The boss said me and the boyfriend could see today's game from his box. And, well, you know what that means.
7: Yeah. As usual, Dayton's ducking out in a pinch.
17: Yeah, well, the rest of us still think you can lick them bums, Mr. McClune.
7: Thanks, Susie. Want to see me, Mr. Dayton? Oh, come in, Mac. Mac, I am leaving you in complete charge. Going away today, Mr. Dayton? I notice you have your golf clubs already. Mm, Yes, I'm running up to the country club. I I couldn't stand the strain of the final game, Mac. Uh, My heart, you know. Yeah, go ahead. I'll phone you the result. Well, it's not as if I were running out on you or the team, Mac. Oh, it's not, Mister Dayton. Mm, you'll uh, you'll bench Sparks, of course. Thought you were leaving me in charge. But my dear McClune, He's had half a dozen chances to win the series in the last three games, and what's he if done? If Sparky b- goes, I go. Oh, he couldn't bat a ball with a coal shovel. He'll bat a ball, bat, bat. Oh, what a fool I've been! Of course, the bat. What are you raving about, Mac? Look, Mr. Dayton, if your heart can stand the strain of making one phone call before you go out to play golf, just one, mind you, we can still win this series. A phone call? I want a detective. Pay any fee he asks, but have him here in 15 minutes. A detective? What detective, Mac? The best in the world, Mr. Dayton. If there's one man can save this World Series for us, it's Ellery Queen.
15: There, ladies and gentlemen, you have the beginning of our mystery.
14: And now back to our mystery. In answer to Mac McClune's phone call, Ellery, Nicky, the inspector, and Sergeant Veely have just arrived. Hello,
15: Mac. Uh, hello, Ellery. You know my father, Inspector Queen? The Inspector. Hiya, Mac. Sergeant Veley. Hi. And this is my secretary, Nikki Porter. Oh. Miss Porter. <laughs> when they heard you wanted me on a case, Mac, I couldn't shake them off. <laughs>
7: There's
18: anything we can do to help the Eagles win, Mac.
15: Thanks, Inspector Queen. We're
18: Eagle
19: fans, all of us.
7: We need them all, Miss Porter. I got a weak salary on the Eagles, Mac. You and a flock of others, Sergeant. <laughs> Where's uh, Mr. Dayton? In a place where he won't bother us. Ellery, uh, if you can solve a mystery in three hours, we've still got a chance to win. If you can't... Doesn't
18: sound like Mac McClune talking. Three hours.
7: Give me the facts. Well, Ellery, you know ball players. They're all kind of superstitious. Yeah. Right? Remember how Babe Ruth always touched second base on his way in from right field at the end of every inning? Sparky's worse, Sergeant. He's got a pet bat.
19: You mean Ellery's got to find one of those nasty things that fly around at night? <laughs>
18: <laughs> Mac's a baseball manager, Nicky, not a zookeeper. He means a baseball bat. Go on, oh. Mac.
7: Well, Ellery, with that pet bat of his, Sparky's the greatest hitter in the game today.
15: Well, now he's just a bummer. Huh? Uh, hold it, Sergeant. Mac... What happened to Sparky's bat and when? Well, the morning
7: after the third game, Sparky told me about it, but it went clean out of my head. Somebody stole his bat.
18: Aha! Uh-huh. If Sparky gets back his bat, you think he'll snap out of his slump,
7: Mac? Inspector, I'll eat your badge in the lock's dugout if he don't.
19: Ellery's <laughs> been asked to find stolen jewels, stolen documents, but a stolen baseball bat. <laughs>
15: Quiet, Nicky. Mac. Was the bat stolen from the clubhouse? Uh, no, Ellery. Sparky was so
7: nervous about it, he wouldn't leave it in the regular bat rack. He took it home with him. Where does he live? Well, Sparky got married just before the series. You mean
19: the World Series is Sparky's honeymoon?
7: Uh, sort of, Miss Porter. So, uh, Mr. Dayton oh. gives Sparky and Lily, that's Sparky's wife, the use of his apartment during the series.
15: They've been living there. What are we waiting for? Let's go. <music>
7: Uh, here's Dayton's apartment, Inspector.
18: Okay, Mac. Billy, you park out here in the hall and watch this front door. Huh? We don't want to be disturbed.
7: Go ahead, Ellery. Knock. Hmm. Fancy layout. Oh, Inspector, you ain't leaving me out in the cold in a case like this. Billy! Yes, sir. Mac, come on in. Oh, hello, Sparky. Uh, this is Inspector Queen, his son Ellery and Miss Porter. Howdy. Hey. From a uh, meet to missus. Lily, Hi, meet I like Inspector Queen
17: oh, yeah. Gee, it's awful good of you folks to help Sparky.
15: I reckon I'm past being helped, Lily. Maybe not, Mr. Sparks. Uh, when did you first discover your bat was stolen? Well, Mr. Queen, I
7: always put the bat in the hall closet there. The first thing I woke up a morning of the fourth game, I well, I look in the closet and Uncle Sam, that's my pet name for the bat, you see.
17: <laughs> Sparky calls everything we own by a pet name, Mr. Queen. There's a skunk back home that
19: bothers the chickens. Sparky calls him Hitler. I'm beginning to like you, Sparky.
18: The bat was missing, Sparky, when you first looked in the closet that morning? No,
7: Inspector. That time Uncle Sam's standing there all right. But then all that morning we have visitors, and when they go away and Lily and me get ready to mosey over to ballpark, why, I open the closet door and Uncle Sam's gone. How many visitors did you have? Wasn't it three, Lily?
17: Oh, four, Sparky. Four visitors. Well, that means one of them must be the thief.
7: I reckon so, Miss Porter. Uh, I wasn't counting Mr. Dayton, Lily. He's not exactly a visitor, this apartment being his'n.
17: Uh, Mr. Dayton come first. He forgot to take his golf bag with him when he gave up this apartment.
7: So he comes to pick it up. Uh, tell Mr. Queen who the other three were, Sparky. Okay, Mac. uh, Uh, first there was Pigoli? Pigoli?
19: big time gambler I smell a rat
7: And what did Mr. Pagoli want Well it's uh, it's sort of personal
17: Oh, no, Sparky, you mustn't hold anything back if when you want Mr. Queen to help. Lily's
7: right, Sparky. Well, Mac. Now, oh, look don't here, Ellery. Sparky's the idol of sports fans all over the country, and he deserves to be. He sets a good example for the kids. He don't drink, don't smoke, a square shooter, but he's got one weakness that's going to get him in a heap of trouble. It already
19: has. I know. I read about it in the papers. That's
18: where Pagoli fits. Gambling. Looks that way, Dad. Commissioner, had you on the carpet about it, didn't he,
17: Sparky? Mm
7: -hmm. Yeah, Inspector. But Sparky won't listen. He wastes most of his dough paying off.
17: Gee, I've tried so hard to make him stop. I I even refused to marry him until he promised to quit. (laughs) Only he he didn't quit. I I reckon you'll
15: have to excuse me. Lily, be a good girl, Nikki, and keep Mrs. Spark's company in the next room.
4: All right, Ellery.
15: So, you owe Pagoli money, Sparky, and he came here yesterday morning to collect, hmm?
7: When you start talking about gambling, Sparky shuts up like a clam. Guess who's outside asking to see Sparky, Hillary? Speak
15: of the devil, Sergeant.
7: Huh? A big shot pegoli. Bring him in, Billy. All right, Inspector. Step into the parlor, Mr. Fly. Be careful with your hands, you. Here. Yeah. Oh, I beg your pardon, Mr. Sparks. I come back tomorrow, eh? Well, now, now, I don't know. You might be too late, Pagoli. Inspector Queen, uh, I not see you at first. In an umpire's eye, you not see him. Be careful how you talk, Mr. Vili. Sergeant Vili to you, pig. Uh, my business with Mr. Sparks, it can wait. I go now. Uh, wait, Mr. Pagoli. What do you want? Uh, seeing how things are, maybe I better tell the truth. The truth? You told me Pagoli came to see you the other day about the money you owe him, Sparks. Uh, I didn't want to worry you, Mac. Mr. Pagoli here, take care of what you spill, Hick. He was willing to forget my I.O.U.s if... Mr. Sparks, I warn you. If what? If I threw the series, Mr. Queen. So that's it, Pagoli. Oh, no, no, you dirty backstage. Don't Drop that. Rod, Pid- that. Pid- no, no. no. That's dropped. Now I'll you. give you a demonstration of the famous deal. You. Really you. Uh, uh, say,
15: Uncle. Ah, uh, uh, That's better. Fireworks over? Now, Mr. Pigoli, did you have any bundles or packages with you when you visited this apartment the other day?
7: All of a sudden, no talk English, huh?
15: No, he, he didn't have, Mr. Queen. You're sure, Sparky? Did he wear a topcoat? No, sir.
7: Okay, let him out, Bailey.
15: Really.
18: Put a tail on him, though. I think we'll be seeing more of Mr.
15: Pig.
7: Come on, Pig, back to your um, stomach. Sparky, who were the other two visitors you had? Who
15: came after Pigoli?
7: After Mr. Pigoli comes calling. Collins.
15: Manager of the Larks?
7: Yep, and uh, after Collins comes Buck Fisher. Uh,
15: Fisher's the first baseman on your own team, Mac, isn't he? Yeah.
7: Sparky beat Buck out of the batting championship by three points.
15: Mm, less than two hours left. Time's running out. Dad, you and Mac tackle manager Collins the Larks. Nicky and I will call on the vanquished Eagle batsman Buck Fisher. You'll find both of them at the stadium now, Ellery. Good. That saves us time. Dad, we check with each other at the stadium. Sparks can give us the other details on the way over. Hurry. Hurry.
18: We've known each other since the old sandlot days. We don't have to spar around.
7: Well, what's on your mind, Inspector?
18: Collins, why did you, the manager of the opposition team, drop in to see Sparks, the star batter of Mac's team, during the World Series?
7: It's your little idea, Mac? Trying to frame me just before the start of the last game? You know me better than that, Collins. Okay. Inspector, I ran up to see Sparky about our bet. What bet? Two thousand bucks, even money on a World Series winner. Sparky bet his team to win, Collins? That's a hot one. Did you ever hear of Sparky betting against himself? Sure, he bet on his team. With his team taking the first three games, I thought Sparky might be willing to raise the ante. At uh, big odds, of course. But no soap. Sparky said no? He was willing, Mac. But his wife said nix.
18: Collins, were you wearing a top coat that morning? Who, me? A top coat in this weather? Did you have any bundles
7: with you? Criminy, no. Say, what's this all about anyway? Forget it. Come on, let's go, Mac. Uh, just a minute, Inspector. Uh, Collins. Yeah, Mac? Who you pitching today? <laughs> See tonight's paper.
15: the door to the Eagles' locker room, Nicky. Uh,
19: Yes, and there come some Eagles. Uh,
15: Excuse me, uh, are you Buck Fisher? Yeah. See you out in the field, fellas. Okay, see you later. Who are you?
19: Don't you know Ellery Queen?
15: Never heard of him, lady. Hey, you're not the new sports writer for the Herald, are you? (laughs) Strike. (laughs) No, Fisher, I'm a detective. Detective? What goes? A few simple questions, Mr. Fisher. Why did you pay a visit to Sparks the morning of the fourth game? Well, Sparky and I had a bet all season on who'd wind up with the best batting average. Sparky won by three points. Ten is high.
19: And I saw him do it. Made five hits in the last game of the season.
15: So what? So why'd you drop in to see Sparky that morning, Fisher? Oh, we had another bet. Who'd get the most hits in the series? Sparky hit like a house of fire the first three games, but I figured he'd fold. So that morning I comes up and I says, Sparky, how about doubling the bet? Did he, Fisher? He says yes, but his
16: wife says No. So what's the matter, Sparky, cold feet? Well, Sparky says, okay. Well, then his wife starts the water work, so I beat it. But the double bet's on. Oh, there's a signal for batting practice. I got to go out and cloud a couple.
19: Oh, uh, Mr. Fisher? (laughs) Yeah? Did you wear a top coat that morning or carry any packages? What?
5: No.
15: Miss Porter, why did you ask Fisher those last two questions?
19: If you can ask him of Pagoli, Mr. Queen, I can ask him of Fisher.
15: (laughs) That's what I thought. Come on, Miss Copycat. Let's find Dad.
19: Inspector, you learned exactly as much from Collins as Ellery and I did from Buck Fisher.
7: Yeah, yeah, Nicky, a great big goose egg. Uh, Ellery, the game will be starting in a few minutes. Uh, Are we getting (laughs)
15: anywhere? Well, Sergeant...
18: Ah, we haven't even got the first base. Ellery, we're no nearer finding that bat than when we start.
15: I wouldn't say that, Dad.
18: Ellery, don't tell
19: me you know where... Yes,
15: I I know where Sparky's bat is, Nicky. There's only a 50-50 chance it's still there. Dad, step aside with me. I'll tell you what to do. Now you teleport.
19: Ellery and his pesky
15: secrets. Yeah, I wonder what's cooking. Two hours since Dad made that phone call, Nikki, and no sign of anybody.
19: You'll wear out the sidewalk, Ellery.
15: Two hours waiting at the ball player's entrance, and we could have been inside with Dad and Veeley watching the game. Uh, Dad, what inning is it?
19: Last of the night, son. Uh, what's the score now, Sergeant? Still the same, Miss Porter. One to nothing. Favor oh. the larks. Oh, give up, Ellery. It's too late now. You, you must have been wrong this time.
15: Nikki, I tell you, I wasn't wrong. I couldn't have been Oh, how can I go in there and face Mac McClune without that pet bat of Sparky?
19: Well, you can't do the impossible, Ellery. He gave you only a few hours.
15: What's that? Nikki, this is it. What?
19: A police car? But Ellery? What... You, hey,
7: Ellery Queen? Yes. Here it is. The bat.
8: Hooray! <laughs>
7: we got it. Are we in time, Mr. McLoone? By the snakes of St. Patrick, it is. It's Sparky's bat. Hey, Sparks! Floyd, Floyd, call Sparky back. He's on his way to the plate. Right? right. for the police department. Hey, how's it stand? Oh, we're behind this back The same as yesterday. One to nothing. Last the ninth. Base is full two out. And Sparky up. Sparks! Sparks get a hit. Any hit will drive in two runs. And
19: we win. Sparky,
7: take the lead out of your feet. Hey, what is it, Mac? You're not benching me. Your bat, Sparky. Your own bat. Here. Now go on out there and use it. Uncle Sam. Don't you worry, Mac. Good old Uncle Sam won't let you down. One side, fellas.
15: And there, ladies and gentlemen, you have the mystery and, I hope, a solution as well. Nicky, will you be good enough to introduce our guest armchair detectives for this evening?
19: Well, Ellery, our guests tonight are certainly the right men to try to solve this mystery, because both of them know just about all there is to know about baseball. And when I tell you who they are, you'll see what I mean. Our first guest is Ken Sears, catcher of the New York Yankees and son of Ziggy Sears, famous National League umpire. You can be sure that when the Yankees meet the St. Louis Cardinals for the first World Series game October 5th, More than a few eyes will be watching Ken Sears. (laughs) All right,
15: Nikki. I'll agree the first guest knows baseball, but what about the second?
19: Well, our second guest isn't a ball player, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know about baseball. He's Art Flynn, business manager of the Sporting News, the Bible of the baseball world. Mr. Flynn has been with the Sporting News for 16 years and has covered every World Series in that time. Mr. Flynn says that the Sporting News has a tremendous international circulation. Since so many of its old readers are now in the service but still yelling for their copies. And, incidentally, they get them. And now, Ellery?
15: Mr. Sears, I have two questions for you this evening. Number one, where did I find Sparky's bat? And two, who stole it? Well, Mr. Queen, I believe you found that bat in Mr. Dayton's golf bag. Mr. Dayton's golf bag.
7: And (laughs) uh,
16: how did it get there?
7: Well, I believe uh, Mr. Dayton visited Sparky's... uh... Uh, apartment that morning, and I believe he uh, stole that bat and uh, went out to the golf course to play golf and missed that
15: last game of the World Series. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Mr. Sears. And now, Mr. Flynn, where did I find Sparky's bat and who stole it? I think I've got to agree with uh, Ken Sears, Ellery, uh,
12: that he found it in the golf bag because no one had a top coat. And secondly, I'd say that when the, that the person that put it there was Lily, the wife... ...because when they were talking about if he threw the series and she walked out and said no... ...when they wanted to double his bet, it's a case of that famous French
15: saying, Cherchez la femme. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Flynn and Mr. Sears. You'll have to wait a moment to find out whether you've solved tonight's mystery correctly... And in the meanwhile, here's Ernest Chapel, who it develops is up on his modern
14: slang. <laughs> Ellery means I'm hep to the jive, I suppose. And all because I happen to mention to him that when you have a headache, you just can't be on the beam. In other words, you don't feel 100%. But if you're hep, that is to say if you know your way around, the chances are that you know our bromo seltzer gives quick, effective relief from the three-way misery that may often accompany a common sick headache. Yes, bromo seltzer acts three ways. On head, nerves, and stomach. Try bromo seltzer the next time you have a common sick headache. See how quickly it has you cooking with gas. Or as we old fogies say, feeling more like your old self again.
15: That was simple, Nicky, once I knew the facts. Only four people, Dayton, Pagoli, Collins, and Fisher, visited Sparky between the last time he saw the bat in the closet and the time he saw it was gone. So obviously, one of those four stole the bat from the apartment.
19: Well, I said that long ago, Ellery, but which one?
15: The important question wasn't who took the bat, Nicky, but how. How was the bat taken out of the apartment under Sparks' nose without Spark seeing it?
1: Strike one.
15: After all, a bat is a sizable object, 36 inches long and a solid hunk of hickory. So that's
18: why you asked about the packages and the topcoats,
15: huh? Right, Dad. But none of the four visitors carried a package or wore a topcoat. The topcoat idea was a shot in the dark. Actually, you can't conceal a 36-inch baseball bat under a coat, or inside a trouser leg for that matter, and still walk like a human being. Yet the bat was taken from the apartment. How? Ball one. There was one <laughs> article taken out of that apartment that was big enough to conceal a 36-inch baseball bat. But Sparks said nothing went outside. Wrong, Dad. Sparks said one thing did go out. Remember? Dayton's golf bag. Dayton? The
7: owner of the Eagles? The one who lent the Sparks' his
15: apartment? That's right.
18: Dayton came back for his golf bag, Spocky said.
19: A- and with the top zippered over, it'd hold a baseball bat and not be seen.
15: Now, strike two. Now, either Dayton put the bat in his golf bag or someone else did. If Dayton were the thief, the first thing he'd do once he was out of the hotel was get rid of the bat. But if someone else put the bat into Dayton's bag and Dayton hadn't yet looked inside, the bat would still be there.
18: So, Nikki, Every told me to phone the chief of police nearest to Dayton's country club. Chief rushed to the club, found Dayton's bag still unopened. And the bat
7: inside.
19: So Mr. Dayton can't be the
7: thief. And there's too. Then then who stole the bat? Who did it? Well, who hid it in Dayton's golf bag?
15: Well, who was in the apartment when Dayton took away his bag? Not Pagoli, not Collins, nor Fisher. None of them had arrived yet. Only two people were there besides Dayton. Sparks and his wife. Did Sparky steal his own bat? Would he deliberately get rid of the one thing he needed most to win his bet? No. Couldn't be Sparks.
19: Then it must be... You mean... His own wife?
15: Mrs. Sparks stole that bat. She's the only one left, so Sparky's wife must be the thief. Ah, ball three, my stone. But Pete's take every what? Um, Mrs. Sparks. Yes, Mr.
19: Queen. Will,
15: will you come here, please?
19: You were wanting me, Mr. Queen. You've heard
15: what I just said. Mrs.
19: Sparks. Lily, why did you do it? Oh, gee, I
17: thought if Sparky lost his pet bat, he'd lose his bets with Collins and Fisher and Padoli and all the others. I thought that would cure him. But I oh well, gee, I didn't realize what it would mean to Mac and to Sparky's teammates and all the fans. I well then I was scared to
19: admit it. A dog gun and a foul. Ellery, do we have to tell Sparky?
15: If everything comes out all right, I don't see why, Nicky.
19: Oh, you're a darling. Hi! Ah,
8: it. ah, it. oh, oh,
15: don't forget Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam came through in the clutch, and he always will. Uh-oh. there, ladies and gentlemen, you have the solution to the mystery. I want to thank Mr. Sears and Mr. Flynn for appearing as guest armchair detectives this evening. We want especially to compliment Mr. Flynn on his skill in solving the crime. We have for both Mr. Sears and Mr. Flynn a personal gift from Bromo Seltzer, also an autographed copy of my latest mystery anthology, The Female of the Species, and a subscription to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine.
14: Say, Ellery, come on back here a minute. You got anything to say before we close up this shop? Yes, yes, I have, Chappie. Ladies and gentlemen,
15: because you had asked for them, during the summer months, we brought you what we felt were the best of the Ellery Queen mysteries broadcast during the last five years. Tonight's story marks the end of these command performances. For with next Saturday's mystery, we will again bring you
14: brand new Ellery Queen adventure. And don't forget the other great Bromo Seltzer show, friends. Vox Pop, the show that travels America. Next Monday, Vox Pop travels to Bowling Field in Washington. Fox Johnson and Warren Hull will interview men of our Army Air Force. Consult your local paper for the time and station. <laughs>
0: Music for The Adventures of Ellery Queen is by Charles Paul. And that's The Adventures of Ellery Queen from September 30th, 1943, with The Adventure of the World Series Crime, starring Sidney Smith as Ellery Queen, as heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. There was an armchair detective group there um, guessing along with us as the listeners who solved uh, the crime on, uh, on Ellery Queen. Hope you enjoyed it. In just a moment, Fibber, McGee, and Molly, but I do want to remind everyone listening that we have a fun club called the classic radio club hundreds of members to that your fellow listeners are members of the classic radio club i invite you to join go to classicradioclub.com learn all about it When you do join, you will receive 10 classic radio shows sent to you each and every month. These are 10 shows that I choose from my library of over a 100,000 shows. They're all digitally remastered. They sound amazing. And we'll also send you copious liner notes so you'll learn about these shows while you're listening to them. So go to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. For the last few weeks here on the WGN Radio Theater, we've been playing quarter hour consecutive episodes of Fibber, McGee, and Molly. We're up to January 28th, 1954 now. Here's Fibber, McGee, and Molly.
20: The Fibber, McGee, and Molly Show. Weekday at this time, NBC brings you Fibber, McGee, and Molly transcribed. The show is written by Phil Leslie and directed by Max Hutton. Fibber and Molly will be with you in a minute. Within the next 20 seconds, a fire will break out somewhere in the United States. Yes, there are 4,600 fires in America each day of the year. They kill 11,000 persons and disfigure or severely burn thousands more. The unfortunate part of this picture is that most of these fires could have been avoided. For example, 90% of all fires which start in the home can be traced to human carelessness. By obeying a few simple rules of fire prevention from now on, you and I can protect ourselves and our families from this devastating menace. Rule one is, don't smoke in bed or discard lighted cigarettes carelessly. Rule two... Clean out old newspapers, magazines, and other inflammable debris. Rule three, promptly repair defective wiring as soon as you notice it. Rule four, use only those cleaning fluids which will not burn. And last but not least, be careful with matches. Keep them out of the reach of small children. Remember, it doesn't pay to gamble with fire. The odds are against you every time. Mrs. McGee is down at the beauty shop this morning, the parakeets in his cage in the living room. And Mr. McGee is curled up with a latest magazine, catching up on his scientific reading.
6: And so as the last space rustler bit the cosmic dust, our hero holstered his trusty ray guns, took off his 10-gallon oxygen hat, and wiped the radioactive sweat from his honest brow. <laughs> yeah, you like this, Buster? Oh, this guy can really write, huh? Okay, listen now. And so, with peace restored to the space cattlemen of Jupiter Valley, Asteroid Rogers, space cowboy, mounted his faithful space horse and rode slowly westward into space. Boy, this stuff is really...
21: Hello, dearie, I'm home. Oh,
6: hi, kiddo. Watch the Christmas...
21: Uh. Uh. (laughs) Yes, Bertie, we'll take it down someday, I hope. Oh, that beauty parlor was busy today. How do you like my hair?
6: Mm, Oh, it looks swell. Yeah, I like it that way.
21: I'm glad because they were too busy at the beauty parlor to do anything to it. I, I just had to get a manicure and come home. Oh, guess what happened?
6: Oh, what? Did somebody mix concrete with the beauty clay and old lady Spradley went home with a paved puss? No, no,
21: this Don't
6: is... tell me Madame Bertha turned the hairdryer too high and set fire to old man McDonald, the president of the Third National Bank's wife's wig.
21: Mrs. McDonald does not wear There's it.
6: so much fascinating, so much fascinating, world-shaking news comes out of that poor stall gossip stable. I never know what to expect. <laughs> Between the mud they pack and the mud they sling...
0: McGee.
6: Okay, kiddo, so what happened?
21: Well... I was talking to Mrs. McDonald down there, and yeah. you know that new musical show that's playing the Civic Opera House this week? That South Atlantic from New York? Oh,
6: yeah, that's a terrific show. They say it's completely sold out. Can't buy tickets at any price.
21: Well, I'll tell you what. Ms. McDonald had a ticket that they can't use tonight, and she suggested that I use it. Look, third row. Oh,
6: okay, so we'll have dinner out at the... Oh, 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 just one ticket huh? Yes, yes.
21: Hmm. My first thought was maybe we could buy another one and go together, but you can't get them anywhere. And, uh, well... I do wish we had two tickets, but... Uh... Ah,
6: you go ahead and go, kiddo. I really wouldn't be interested myself, or uh, rather stay home and, and read.
21: Sure you don't mind me going? I mean... No, nah, no, nah,
6: go ahead. You might enjoy it. I don't much like the idea of you being out at night by yourself, like, you know, a lot of hold-ups and stuff going on, but if you don't mind oh, me... Oh, and...
21: I forgot to tell you the rest of it. I ran into Doris Callahan in front of the library, mm-hmm. and I was telling her about it. And she and Dr. Gamble have tickets for tonight, so they're going to pick me up here.
6: Oh. Well, I suppose Doc would be the type of guy that he'd enjoy that type of show. Music and girls and stuff. Personally, I... Come in.
4: Hi, mister. Hi, Miss McGee. Hi.
6: Oh, hello there, Teenie. Come on in. Hello,
4: Teenie. Aren't you supposed to be in school?
6: Yeah, it's only 11 o'clock. You aren't out for lunch already.
4: No. I got the rest of the day off, sort of. Oh? Mm hmm. Miss Yagley, that's our teacher, she sent me and Willie Toops home.
6: Oh, oh. Trouble, sis?
4: Well, gee, it wasn't really our fault, I betcha.
6: Mm hmm.
4: No, me and Willie Toops were drawing a picture of Miss Yagley on the blackboard by mistake, you see.
21: By mistake?
4: Sure. We thought she was out of the room, but she wasn't.
21: Oh, that was a bad one.
4: You shouldn't have done that,
21: Timmy. No, yeah, not
6: without checking first. <laughs>
4: It was a wonderful picture, of it. Oh, I bet it was. (laughs) Yeah, with X's for eyes and four ears on it. Wow. And her hair looked like snakes. (laughs) And all the kids laughed like everything. Everybody laughed but Miss Yegley.
6: Yeah, well, teachers are like that.
4: Have you been home yet, dear? Not yet, Miss McGee. Our teacher said, I want both you children to go spend the rest of the day thinking about how naughty you've been. Hmm. So Willie Toops is going to think about it at the Bijou, at the Western Matinee, because he's got a quarter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I wondered if I could think about it at your house, Miss McGee. Well, I don't know, dear. Maybe you should... Sure,
6: says Sure. Come on, see. Just till
4: school is out, Miss McGee, then I can go home with the other kids, because I don't like to worry my dear mother. Because my dear mother... If...
6: I'll get it. McGee's residence. Who? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's here. Just a minute. It's your mother, Teeny.
4: Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Hello, Mother dear. Yes, my darling mother, I'm coming right home, Mother dear. Hmm. Miss Yagley called you, huh? <laughs> I'm sunk. Yeah. Yes, Mother dear. Goodbye. Bye, Mr. Miss McGee. It was nice knowing you.
6: Ah, don't worry, Teeny. Your mother.
4: Maybe if I fall down and skin my knees on the way home and I come in crying, my leg is broken. Maybe she'll have pity on me.
20: There's more fun with the McGees shortly. <laughs>
21: But McGee, Monica Miller, saw it in New York, and she says it's a wonderful show.
6: Well, New York and Wistful Vista are two different things. This is a road company. They don't use the same actors here that they use in New York at all, you know that. Oh,
21: I know that, but they must be good or they wouldn't be in the show because... Well, why
6: worry about it? You got a free ticket, so go ahead and go. What can you lose, free ticket?
21: Well, there are some wonderful songs in the show. I know that.
6: Sure, great. I heard them all on the radio a dozen times. We heard Dinah Shore sing most of them last week, remember? True. And after I've heard Dinah sing a song, I can't get very excited over going to see some road company soprano with a cold from riding a drafty train trying to grab hold of a high note that keeps ducking behind the rafters. Hmm.
21: I don't know. You don't make it sound very exciting. Gotcha, boy! Set them in the kitchen, Mister Oldtimer.
6: Yeah, well, you go right ahead and go. Go where, Johnny? To the show. What show?
21: I'm going to see South Atlantic tonight, Mister Oldtimer. Where's a
2: plan, kids. The Bijou. No,
6: no. Well, it... Me
21: and
16: Bessie, we're going to the Bijou tonight. We'll come by and
2: ride over with you, kids. We'll have a picnic. Well, no. We like to go and sit in the balcony, eat peanuts, and throw the hulls over the railing. <laughs> You'll have a wonderful evening with us kids, kids. We're a panic. Yeah, but we're not going he and to... Bessie would like you and daughter there, Johnny, to be our guest for the peanuts. I'm trying to... Eat. You can buy the show tickets. We'll be there about uh, 7.15 so we can see two shows. Hey, and...
6: hey, will you pipe down? We're not going to the Bijou.
16: Okay. I'll let Bessie buy the tickets. Uh,
21: you see, Mr. Oldtimer, Mrs. McDonald gave me a ticket to see South Atlantic.
2: It's a New York show. New York, huh? Pretty long trip just to see a show, daughter. Oh, we're not... Send me a postcard, will you, Johnny? I love New York. <laughs>
21: like to go there sometime. Have fun, kid. Goodbye. <laughs> Maya's he confused.
6: Yeah, and did you hear that wind? It's turning cold out there. It's a good night to stay home by the fire. I might just call Mort Toops. See if him and Mabel might come over and play some three-handed canazzo with me.
21: I sort of hate to go to this show without you tonight, dearie. If there was only some way to get another ticket. Ah,
6: that's not for me. It's nice of you to feel that way, but I wouldn't be interested if we had six tickets. You'll enjoy it, though. Probably.
21: Well, I thought I would at first, but. Well, I'll go get dinner. <laughs> Another piece of pie, McGee. Some more coffee. No, I'm
6: loaded. You better start getting dressed for the show, anyhow. Look, Molly. I, I don't want you sitting there in that chilly opera house worrying about me being lonesome or anything
21: tonight. Well, I, I know you don't mind me going. Because but... I phone
6: Morton. Him and Mabel are coming over at eight thirty to play Canetsa. I'm going to build a fire in the fireplace and pop some popcorn and maybe make some hot buttered root beers and we'll just listen to the wind howl outside. And McGee, hmm?
21: I'm not going.
6: What you mean you're not going? I've
21: been thinking about it, and I wouldn't enjoy that show. I'm staying home.
6: Are you Are you sure you don't want to go, Molly? Why, you might enjoy no, it.
21: No, it's cold outside, and I'd have to get all dressed up. and Well, I'd rather stay home and play cards with you and the Toopses.
6: Well, frankly, kiddo, I think you made a wise decision.
21: I think so, too.
6: I didn't want to say anything because it was your ticket, but I felt all along that you wouldn't enjoy that show. I know I wouldn't. Boy, you couldn't drag me out of this house tonight with six horses with Lady Godiva sitting on each one of them and.
21: I'll get it. Okay. 79 Wistful Vista, Molly McGee speaking. Oh, hello, Doris. I was just going to phone Dr. Gamble. Huh? Oh, he can't? Oh, what a shame.
6: Who can't, Molly? Who can't what?
21: Just a minute, Doris. Yeah. The doctor can't go tonight. He has an operation. Oh? How's that, Doris? Oh, that's a nice thought, dear, but we had just decided to stay at home. You can get someone to use the ticket, can't you?
6: Huh? what ticket? Use what ticket? Can't Doc use his ticket? She wants somebody to use
21: Doc's ticket? Uh, hush, dearie, I can't hear. Huh? No, Doris. McGee was just saying you couldn't get him out of this house tonight. Hey, hey,
6: we'll go with her, kiddo. We'll both go. Give me the phone, will you?
21: What? But...
6: <laughs> hello, hello, Doris. Yeah, we'd love to go, Doris. We'll pick you up in 20 minutes. Swell, goodbye.
21: But, McGee, the as you said you would.
6: Hurry up, Molly. Curtain time in half an hour. I'll run up and shave. You write a note for Morton Mabel, and we'll leave it on the front door. I hear it's a great show, and they say it's got...
20: Of- we'll say goodnight to Fibber and Molly in a moment. Again tomorrow, you'll hear the nation's top comedy entertainers with their own special brands of humor to keep you laughing all evening long when you set your radio dial to this same NBC station. Just listen to this list of top entertainers: there's Bob Hope, Phil Harris, and Alice Faye, Gertrude Berg, and of course Fibber McGee and Bolly. When you add up this entertainment, plus you'll know why so many millions of radio listeners make NBC the place to stay on Friday. Phil Harris and Alice Faye furnish mirth and music to make their half-hour show one of the week's entertainment high spots. Listen and laugh at the antics of Elliot Lewis, Julius Abruzzio, Phil, and all the wonderful cast of comedy characters. And you'll also want to be in the audience tomorrow for the Bob Hope Show, featuring songs by Margaret Whiting and the music of Les Brown and his band of renown. Family Comedy is the keynote of Gertrude Berg's new show, The House of Glass. It's an intriguing story of life in a hotel in the Catskills. Yes, you'll enjoy all of the programs sent your way via NBC every Friday evening.
6: Well, kiddo, did you have a good time?
21: Yes, good show.
6: Yeah, good night.
21: Good night, Al.
20: NBC has brought you the Fibber, McGee, and Molly program transcribed with Bill Thompson as the old-timer. This is John Wald inviting you to be with us again tomorrow night for another visit with Fibber, McGee, and Molly.
13: This Saturday, enjoy Roadshow, an exciting new show on the NBC Radio Network.
0: That's a quarter-hour episode of Fibber, McGee, and Molly from January 28th, 1954, starring Jim and Marion Jordan. That was sustained, Is heard on NBC. And by sustained, I mean no sponsor. It was sustained by the network. A lot of shows, when they didn't have a sponsor, they were just sustained by the network because they were hoping that they would find a sponsor or they would use that show to promote other shows. Mm. So. Oftentimes shows were not sponsored, that particular one was not, and hope you enjoyed it. Let's take a quick break, then it's more of the WGN Radio Theater. Next week, we'll be back Saturday night, ten p m. with eight more classic radio shows. We have The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, my favorite husband, The Big Story, Fort Laramie, the Fred Allen Show, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, x minus one, and another quarter hour episode of Fimerengi and, and Molly Next week is Fourth of July. We'll yes. see you all next Saturday, ten p m. Thanks for listening.